I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. Kane Pittman alongside Olga Nulich. We're going to be talking NBL, WNBL, I don't think much NBA today, but we might have a little update on one of the Australian stars and uh, the NBL storylines continue to get crazier. It's a bit of a cliche, Olgs, when people say that this might be one of the deepest seasons of all time. But I will say this, the upsets are coming thick and fast. And I don't know if you have a place we should start, but there was certainly a team last week we had in the gun. And a week later, I'm not so sure the storyline has changed. No, we're we're probably going to hit them again. But I agree. (laughs) As as far as depth this season, parity and all that, we, we started the season and I think I said every team is good except, or there are no bad teams except Adelaide. Now Adelaide looks passable. And so I don't mm-hmm. think there's there's really any bad team except right now for the Perth Wildcats, who I, I think we should talk a little bit in depth on. Last week, we were in a position where there were certainly some pretty loud warning signals, but the weekend, it got worse. Uh, a loss to Brisbane... At home, this is a Perth team that's now two and five on the season. None of the numbers look good. We mentioned it last week, but the locals are, are very, very restless. Hutchie is out there and he's needing to put statements out to the media because uh, this is just literally an unprecedented situation that this franchise finds itself in. And the that context is why this is this feels so explosive. It's because they're coming off the history that they have going to the playoffs a billion times before missing it ever since this new ownership and this new management came in. That doesn't help. The the passion of the fan base doesn't help. The fact that they're vocal both in the stands and on socials is, again, none of this is helpful, right? And then it, it gets even worse when you have Bryce Cotton's wife coming out and saying things publicly too. And so some of the frustrations that are brewing inside the team and, and within that franchise are bleeding out into the public. And so none of this feels healthy, um, and that's just the sort of the vibe around the team. That just that's the cultural stuff that it feels like. That's not even talking about the basketball stuff, which is all which also doesn't feel healthy or sustainable in any way. And so we look at some teams and we think, okay, there is re- these teams are redeemable. There are some indicators here that we really like. There really aren't many indicators in Perth that I like right now. So this game on Friday night against Brisbane. Now keeping in mind that I'm getting a little bit older, Olgs and. The 11.30 finishes are tough for me, all right? I'm an old man. Sometimes okay, I wake Kane. up in the morning and I like to watch these games again. We watch sports for our job. This time, it's fine. I turned off this game at halftime in disgust. Perth were... Yeah. I, I couldn't even believe what I was seeing for a team that came into this game under fire at home, another massive crowd. The way they started this game, it looked like they might be stuck on three points at quarter time. Guys were just walking up the court and just launching threes, some of them not even hitting the rim. It does not look like a team on the floor. This looks like five guys at any given time that are just out there playing for themselves. Nobody looks happy. It's just a bizarre situation. The, and the context of that game is important too. Brisbane did not have Aaron Baines. They did not have Shannon Scott. And so here's a team missing. It's Both imp- teams should have been desperate and only one yeah. of them did. Brisbane was coming in having lost four in a row, right? And they didn't have their input point guard. They didn't have their marquee center, right? And so the Perth Wildcats, healthy, should have been the more desperate team at home having lost three in a row, they needed that win, if anything, just to temper everything around that franchise. And I, I rewatched that game last night, and the Brisbane Bullets were first to every 50-50 ball. Uh, the Wildcats, as I've said all season, just cannot guard anybody, especially at the point of attack. And it wasn't until the end of the game when Ty Webster was benched and Jordan Usher was benched, and they went with a lineup of, of hungry guys out there that they started to finally look like a functional basketball team. But... The fact that it was, I remember in the first quarter alone, it was Mitch Norton diving out of bounds for a, a loose ball, throwing it off a, a Wildcat Brisbane ball. Rocco Zakarski getting to the ball before Alex Sarr throws it off in Brisbane ball. These 50-50 stuff, that, that, that matters. That This league is too tight to, to not win those, those sorts of battles. And so the Bullets went in with the necessary urgency. The Wildcats didn't for some reason. You can point to 
coaching, you can point to, point to personnel, but this team just like isn't clicking and, and the chemistry is just really, really off right now. So where do you put it down to though? Because if I go through and you can describe exactly what you're doing there, Olgs, and say, this is what we're seeing. Yeah. And this is a team that still doesn't rebound and, as you said, doesn't defend. These were problems that were there last year. Yeah. But if you look at when they have their best three players in theory, and I'll, I'll say their best two players, Bryce Cotton and Keanu Pinder at this point in time, I'll put Usher in there because he's an import yep. and he's supposed to be at that level. So when you've got Usher, Cotton and Pinder on the floor, 248 possessions so far this year, they're getting outscored by 18.3 points per 100 so they're getting dominated when their best players are on the floor and just on an individual level the numbers are ugly for jordan usher now he had 35 points in the season opener they beat tazzy at home but since then it has been disastrous and there's been some games where say what you want about plus minus they are just not having a good time when he's been on the floor that's that's just the fact so far yeah it it just doesn't look like usher and bryce cotton can share the floor together I know that there was an exchange between Jordan Usher and Bryce Cotton during that game that, that wasn't great, that you don't want to hear one teammate say to another. Um, and so the chemistry isn't close to, to working there. And then you, then you look at on the court where Usher came in as the, defensive, the sort of admitted defensive player of the year front runner, right? He came in and said, I'm going to be the, the, the <laughs> deep boy, right? He's looking far from that. He's, he, He's not very good at guarding the point of attack. He is gambling. He's reaching around, guys. He's not an elite defender in any way. At least, he, at least he hasn't shown it in, in, at any season, point. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, and then having him on the floor with Bryce Cotton, who I know the last few games other teams have been attacking him. They've been targeting Bryce Cotton because one, they think that their guys can just get by him, and also Bryce Cotton doesn't want to foul out. And so if 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 it looks like you have a half a step on Bryce Cotton, he's going to let you go. And so when you can't guard the perimeter, then you know guys are getting inside the paint. Keanu Pinder or Alex Aro, these guys have to come and help over, and then that's why they're not a good rebounding team as well because everything's just out of whack. But the, the chemistry on the court is just not working. Um, the best lineup, which was the lineup they used to finish that game against the Bullets. So I'm pretty sure Jordan Usher sat the last 17 minutes of that game. He didn't play the fourth quarter. Ty Webster played four minutes of that fourth quarter, then they benched him. Right Here is your, your import guard in Jordan Usher, and Ty Webster, someone you're paying like an import. And so Webster is, Ty Webster is looking like he has maybe the, the worst value contract in the NBL right now, right? That's not a great place to be in if you're a team and your point guard is that sort of guy. They had those two off the floor. Webster, Corey Webster was on. Christian Doolittle was playing the three. Hiram Harris was on the floor. And all of a sudden, you have guys who can guard. They can switch a, a bunch of actions. And you've got connectors on the offensive end. And so all of a sudden, Bryce was getting decent looks and Corey Webster was getting decent looks. They just haven't, I don't think they've just, they've deciphered the best lineups to, to be successful out there. And that's why you can say, well, you're just being protective of Bryce, who's been obviously a legend in this league over mm. the last few years. But I'm just watching in the first half and I'm seeing that there's no sharing the ball. No. There's no guys working for each other. No one wants to set a screen. Everyone just wants to get up their own shot and get down the other end and let's just get this game over with. That's what it looked like against Brisbane. Yeah. So that's why it is hard if people say, well, this is proof that Bryce cut some sort of system player. No, but it would be nice if he had the team that were that were playing together to try and help their best player. Yeah. It hasn't been the case so far this year. When I look back to last year and we discussed this offense was a juggernaut for this team. They yeah. could really, really score the ball. They had 11 players in total last year that played a minimum of 100 possessions. Last year, this is 11 players. The top five in terms of uh, positive differential when they were on the floor, Luke Travers was number one. Jesse Wagstaff was number two. Tayshawn Thomas was number three. Then there was Bryce Cotton at four. And the fifth player was Mitch Norton. So four <laughs> of those five guys aren't there. And yeah. the Luke Travers, oh, I said this before, but I, I had people last year, they just couldn't believe he wasn't playing more. They couldn't believe that they couldn't find a way to get this guy more court time. And if you look what he's done at Melbourne, and we understand this is a, a veteran team, guys that are playing together. It's it's a different scenario. So maybe this isn't a, a totally fair comparison. But not being able to keep him, not just a local Australian, but a local guy yeah, and someone that should have been one of the best players in this team and will play defense, it would be the best defender on this team by a comfortable margin. That, that is just a catastrophic loss for this team because he's playing 30 minutes a night at Melbourne United. That mm. is a big number for a Dean Vickerman team. 
and he's just consistently the offense still not quite there. He's not shooting the three well. And Dean Vickerman mentioned to us in the pro, uh, pre- press conference the other day that he's still figuring out when to attack, when to score. He doesn't have that assertiveness uh, as a scorer yet, but he's having a, a big time season on a team that looks like a contender. And if you're a Wildcats fan, it has to hurt to see him doing this for Melbourne. Yeah. Um, we, we, we'll talk more about Luke Travers in a bit as well. He's ha- not having him. It's really indicative of so many of their problems. Uh, I also went back and watched a bit of the 2020 Grand Final Series with Trevor Gleeson Wildcats teams. And the thing that we saw there that we're not seeing this time is the, the Wildcats get through the sort of like first part of their action. And then back then, you you would have a Mitch Norton or a Luke Travers or a Jesse Wagstaff who would then sort of facilitate the the, the counters and the next part of the action. And maybe the, the ball is on, is on the strong side and on the weak side, you got some action to get Bryce open again, right? They're not doing that this time. They, they get through the first part of their action and then it's, all right, John Usher has the ball, maybe playing two or three side and or maybe Corey Webster has it. It's just an on ball and a pull up and they're just getting bad shots because they're just, they're not going to any of their counters. They're not, they're not like running a play. Once the ball hits the first side, it never gets to the second side again. And that's why we saw, and I think Liam Santamaria pointed this out on last week's overtime, a lot of Bryce Cotton's just standing in the corner because he gets through that first part of the action, he's in the corner, and then he knows that, yeah, they're just going to go do their thing on the other side of the floor. And so not having a Luke Travers is not helpful in that regard. The fact that they're paying a part of Mitch Norton's contract this season, when when you think, what kind of player could they use? Maybe a Mitch Norton. Maybe someone who can just guard really solidly, get Bryce the ball, and get you into your offense. They just need a version of that player, and they decided to cut that guy, still pay him, basically a portion of his contract because he was contracted to them this season and then pay Ty Webster like an import point guard. It, it's just not the things that that maximizes Bryce Cotton, who we know should be the best player in the NBL. Mitch Norton and Sam McDaniel were massive on Sunday against Tassie playing the defense on those jack jumper guards that we know yeah. they've been scoring big time. So no doubt that's a little bit further salt in the wound when you yeah. see Mitch Norton out there having an impact in this game. I'm going to drink some coffee on Friday night, Olks and you're so brave 8 p.m perth adelaide perth adelaide you need a piccolo to to stay awake from 8 p.m game will be locked in (laughs) because this is it if if you don't have any response this week then i i don't know what you do look they have to be more desperate than an adelaide team that all of a sudden is looking competitive they've won two of their last three games since they've added uh dj fasevich so this is a this is a must watch game for me now. Perth and Adelaide Friday night. I thought their game Saturday against, night. Yeah, I thought their game against Brisbane was a must win game, and you know theoretically it was. Yeah. If uh, an Adelaide team that is still putting putting itself together, they've they've added a new piece. If this isn't a must win game at home as well, the sort of the vitriol in RSC Arena is off the charts right now. Um, the you know the reports of John Reilly being booed in a in a members function and you know booing. John really and and that team at you know during the first time out and at quarter time, it's just it feels very unhealthy, um, and so for their sake, I hope that they find their way to an extent. But I just don't see any indicators that that make me think that they'll get there. It's going to be interesting uh, this weekend, as we mentioned there. So Perth Wildcats, Adelaide, Saturday night that is uh, eight p.m. So I'll have no problems on Saturday night. Don't worry about that. Let's talk about <laughs> the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix. A four-game win streak. And I wanted to talk about the Phoenix just because I don't think we've discussed them a lot because naturally we've sat here on this podcast and said, well, gee, they're just really hard to judge because they're not healthy again. And this is why I think even looking back at historical comparisons for the Phoenix over previous years, I can't do it because you're looking at numbers that for Simon Mitchell, who would be so frustrated or has been so frustrated over the years, he never had the full complement of guys on the floor. They've got it. They've won four games and they've beaten Tasmania, Adelaide, the Brisbane Bullets and Adelaide and Brisbane, two teams that look like they're turning it around. So that's not bad wins there. And then they take care of the breakers at home. We'll get to that a little bit later. But uh, they've got four guys getting you 15 points a night. Big Sauce has been on the tear since he's come back in. This is a dominant rebounding team again. They Mm. get to the free throw line. And the only thing that you would point to, we say, well, okay, you hopefully they get better is on the defensive end. They're still around mid-pack. And if you're talking about true contender, yeah, they do need to push up towards some of those uh, top teams there. But when healthy, this is now starting to look a little bit more like the team I said to you had decent depth 
in the preseason. Yeah, we. I feel like for a lot of the start of this season, we're going to say there is Melbourne in a top tier of teams. Yeah. And then there's a tier below them. Right now, it's very tough to say that Southeast is not in that tier. Mm. That it feels you got like. Them in with the Sydney's, the. Right the now, yeah. I mean, well, because you look at their top four guys, and I think those guys are sort of unimpeachable. We know what they're going to bring Gary yep. Brown, uh, Will Cummings, Mitch Creek, Alan Williams. Alan Williams is playing like damn near the MVP right now. Yeah. He's basically averaging, if I got his numbers, like 19, 11, and three and a half assists a game in 22 minutes a game, right? Defensively, you can nitpick and whatever, but from a production standpoint, well, just what he's doing on the floor, he's playing incredible basketball. They are, they are such a they are a, a good offensive team and a good defensive team when he's on the floor, and so the addition of him has been very helpful. The the thing that you you mentioned defensively, the sort of middle of the road right now, and that obviously has to improve. And we we know this historically. If and they're not far be, off, we're talking not not a not a big jump here. Like I think they've been. Good. They've been solid, yeah. right? But there's there's a difference between the sort of Melbourne cans defensively, uh, as far as the rankings go, and then the sort of middle of the pack teams. And that's not a, a shot. Like the middle no. of the pack teams are completely fine. But in order to sort of be a sustainable team that can go all the way in a playoff series, you generally like to rely on an elite defense. And I think Melbourne has that. Southeast hasn't shown that just yet. The thing that I'll say is, and that maybe the thing that makes me temper this run is that it was against Tasmania at home who at the time I think everyone was saying Tasmania is his title team. Tasmania is a fine team, mm. right? They are a, Tasmania is a bad defensive team. Go. Tasmania Typical. has... <laughs> just because you've been on Tasmania the past few still weeks am. and all of a sudden they have the same record as the Brisbane Bullets and a worse defense, right? Let's let's just... We're just talking about the facts here, right? They're four and four. So they're not in the same level as they're a Melbourne four four, or a but they've senior been Sydney twice. Well, you can't say they're not on the same level as Melbourne oh, or, or Sydney when they've beaten Sydney twice and beaten Melbourne on the road. I'll say it again. So you they're have to look at, at the value level. of the wins. You have to look at the quality of the wins. That Tassie team is there, I'm telling you. I don't think they're, they're, they're like, they're knocking on the door, right? I don't think they're there. Um, I think their defense is bad. And, and Scott Roth admitted that, and he knows that in order to be a quality a, a team that goes all the way, your defense needs to be better. Um, so they beat Tassie at home, is what I'm trying to say. Southeast did, uh, and then they yes. beat an Adelaide team in Adelaide that had just incorporated Dayan Vasiljevic. So this is a team that was still, you know, f- figuring itself out. Then they beat Brisbane at home, a Brisbane team without Shannon Scott and without Aaron Baines. Mm-hmm. And then they beat the South, uh, uh, the New Zealand Breakers, who also didn't have they didn't have Zylan Cheatham. Uh, they don't have uh, they didn't have Justin Jessup obviously. They had Anthony Lamb who who they're still trying to sort of figure out in their system. Will McDowell's not playing the best basketball, and New Zealand's defense looks pretty bad right now. And so they beat they won games they're supposed to win, and that is the sign of a good team. Uh, I want to see them beat those championship level teams uh, before we really talk about them as a team that can compete for a title. Yeah, this is uh, one hard man to impress for the listeners out there. He, I'm just, just, there is I'm just, just saying a TO of Melbourne United on their own. This man moved to Melbourne three weeks ago, and he is he is all the way on board. Do That's, you disagree? No, I I think uh, Southeast Melbourne uh, since they've been healthy. Because to your point, like that's. Let's see what the next few weeks look like because yeah. they should be getting better. They've only just got mm. their group together. So this should be a team that continues to improve. i tell you what I am looking forward to. So they play Brisbane this weekend, Thursday night. That'll be great. In Brisbane. And Brisbane will have Aaron Baines back. And then they come back and they've got a Cairns team, which again is just looking like this young team playing for Adam Ford and really competitive. I think we'll learn more about the Cairns Taipans uh, this weekend just as yeah. we get to see them a little bit more. But without getting too far ahead of myself... Let's fast forward to Sunday, November 12, Southeast Melbourne Phoenix and Melbourne United. Yeah. And then let's see what the Phoenix are all about at home at 2 p.m. on Sunday. So that's next weekend. So I am getting a little bit too excited, but that will be a really fun matchup. You mentioned New Zealand. Mm. So we discussed this on Headline or Storyline. It's our column on ESPN.com.au out every Monday. Myself, Olgs, Peter Hooley. And we discussed whether the idea of this three-game stretch for the Breakers coming off the NBA tour was going to be make or break for their season. They had a game on the road against Melbourne. Then they had to come home and play at home. And then they had to come back to Melbourne and play the Phoenix. So three games in eight days. I said I couldn't figure out why the schedule was doing this to the poor Breakers. Modi Mayor didn't want to hear about it, but he's never going to mention that publicly. I I just... It it looked crazy on paper. Mm. And 
you would have been concerned if they got out of that one and two, but they go 0-3, and, and now they're 1-4, and four, and they've got games to catch up on the rest of the league. That was that was tough. That that should not... I don't know how you figure out the schedule in the future. Maybe New Zealand and Cairns play a home-and-home, home, so at least they're playing each other coming off the NBA tour. You can't have that. That made no sense on paper, and now you've got a New Zealand team that's had injuries on top of that. They go 0-3, and, and now they're, they're up against it. Yeah, it sucks because... This is a New Zealand team that, you know, when you join New Zealand, part of the buy-in is we're going to be involved in the NBA stuff. And so that's what the ownership wants to do. And so you you have to sort of, you have to eat it, right? Basically, you got, you got to go do that stuff. And even if it means having an effect on your NBL season, I guess so be it, right? As much as that sucks. Um, going 0-3 was bad during that stretch. Uh, that game against Adelaide should have been a gimme. For that team, especially because they were healthy for the majority of it, but they did lose Island Cheatham at the start of that fourth quarter. And I believe the score was seventy three seventy. New Zealand were winning, I think, at the yeah. point of that injury. That is a massive blow. And and Modi spoke about the fact that as soon as Zyland went down, the everyone's heads dropped. the 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 vibe of the team just went backwards, and so the thirty sixes sort of smelled blood, and were able to capitalize and get a really big home win, a uh, road win for them. Yeah, but. Going 0-3, losing Zyland Cheatham for what looks like an extended period of time. It's looking like six to eight weeks. I think they're still doing some more tests to see the exact extent of it, but that's a, a, a fracture in his foot. So they're going to look for a replacement import for him. Um, they just they need some they need something to plug the the paint for them on both ends of the floor. They they thought they'd have Mango Matiang be someone who can eat a ton of those minutes. Yeah, he's just not that guy. Um, Dane Pino, I think they brought in to maybe play, you know, five minutes a game. He can eat a few minutes at the, at the five spot. He's having to play 10 plus minutes a game. It's just not something that is, is you, you can do if you're trying to win basketball games in the NBL. And they're one of the, the worst defensive teams right now. That's not something that we, we're used to seeing from a, a Modi Mayor team. Um, and so, yeah, my, my issue with them is defensively. They, they're just looking really, really bad. And they, they need, I don't know what's out there as far as centers go in the import market, but they need someone just to come in and, and, and block shots and just be a presence in there. Cairns at home on Friday night for New Zealand, and then they'll it's travel tough. to Sydney. Yeah, Cairns at home is, is scary. You've got to get at least one. Yeah, and like you'd, you'd bet on... If you're on, one and seven, that's, that's probably curtains. You'd, I mean, we were speaking about Adelaide. If they went one and six, yeah. we'd think maybe that's it. One and seven is really tough to come back from. Um, you'd, you'd think that that Cairns win is, is winnable, that the Cairns game is winnable for them. But Cairns is, is a, they're a feisty team. Like Cairns is one of those teams that just stays in games. And then if they can hit you at the end of it, we're still waiting to hear the, the severity of that Pat Miller injury. But if he if he's back and Taron Armstrong is back in that lineup and, and Tajim McCall could be back as well, this Cairns team could be healthy, feeling themselves a little bit. Sam Wardenberg is playing really good basketball. Bobby Clinton's sort of feeling himself too. You know, this, it's, this could be really bad for New Zealand, especially because Will McDowell-White, it looks like a shell of himself right now. Let's chat more Cairns Taipans next week. They've got two more games this weekend, so we'll I think we'll get, a, we'll get a better look at this team and um, perhaps we'll see where they're at uh, health-wise as well. Uh, the one thing I did want to run through with you before we get to our WNBL chat with Megan Husswaite is the Tassie-Melbourne game. Mm. Uh, uh, what do you take away from this? Because you know, you're watching the first five minutes and you're like, well, here we go again. Yeah. Tasmania's going to score 105 points. They're going to break that regular season record again that they did last week from a scoring perspective they were all over Melbourne and then we saw Melbourne United do what they've done to just about every team in the league so far and they just they just put the clamps on they they and it wasn't just putting the clamps on it was, it was you they they shut down everything that the the jack jumpers were trying to do offensively but them having the luxury of Delhi was out that game and they have Joe Luala Chua Jr coming back and the fact that you can have someone come off the bench, and I don't know how long he's going to keep coming off the bench for, but he comes off the bench and he's someone who you throw it down low to and he's someone you have to throw another body at, right? You can't guard him straight up. He will dominate you. And and that's what he did. It was really weird. At the start of that game, it looked like Melbourne was purposely trying to get a body into Marcus Lee to foul him out uh, or to get him in foul trouble. And it wasn't working. It wasn't until JLA went on and... Marcus Lee just organically picked up those fouls when JLA was attacking him. The fact that they have Huck Porty, who is so solid defensively and on both ends, but defensively he's sort of the anchor for that group. 
and then you have JLA come on and just they 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 every lineup they have can just can just pour the points on. And then when you have Kyle Bowen playing his role at an elite level and and you know, they just they just come at you in just crazy ways and Shay Illy is just the the heart and soul of that team. Basically, whoever you put him on, you shut them down. We saw that in that Tasmania game, and then we saw that the next game that Melbourne played against Illawarra, where they didn't put him on J Rob, they put him on Tyler Harvey. And Ty- Tyler Harvey was kept a single digits because Shay Illy was just all over him. On the Sunday game, Tyler Harvey wasn't even getting shots up, which is unheard of. He yeah. he normally gets you. Yeah, 15 shots a night. Uh, so defensively, I, I thought it was interesting to watch Tazzy because we discussed, and again, I couldn't be any higher on this team still, to be clear. But Obviously. you know, we discussed the offensive rating last week, and I said it's unsustainable. That it's going to come down. Yeah. And, but this was a different level, and, and what we didn't see from Tazzy was this team running the offense that always gets them a good look. And I thought it was interesting. Kelsey Brown was on the sideline for the broadcast, and during one of the timeouts, she reported that. Milton Doyle was the one giving a pretty simple message. Let's get through our sets. Let's get our shots. Let's run our offense. And I do think that we've seen Melbourne United throughout the season with those guys that got on the perimeter and then the back line. They just, they they have teams getting to the point where they're like, this is too hard. Yeah. This is too hard. Let's just take the first shot now because I, I can't work through the physicality. Even if we get to the rim, we've got Ariel Hook-Porty there and Luke Travers helping on the perimeter when Daly's there and Ian Clark's a solid defender, Illy, we know. They've just got guys right up and down this lineup that make life difficult. And it's like teams just say, we can't, we can't be bothered yeah. anymore. We can't do this. What's the easy shot? And if I looked at the shot chart for Tassie in this game, so they had a, a 110 offensive rating in this game. Remember, they were at 122 previously. So significantly down. And if you look at their shot attempts this season, Scott Roth has spoken about it, the different personnel, more guys that want to shoot the three. So 45% of their shots have been three-pointers on the season. Uh, against Melbourne the other night, it was 27%. So wow. they just weren't even getting... Because the one thing you do know about Tassie, they will take good shots. Yeah. So they weren't getting good looks on the perimeter because they weren't able to get through their sets and they weren't able to get the usual efficiency that they've had throughout the season. So um, I think Tassie still against most teams. I've got no concern. I know Brisbane was was not not the best night for Tassie, but I think against most teams, I've got no problem that their offense and their system will allow them to continue to be efficient offensively. But Melbourne United is the bar right now defensively, and it's not close. Yeah, and I, I agree. And Melbourne is going to make a lot of teams just look really bad offensively. And it's because of Illy. And it's, I don't, I don't know if this is, I don't know if I'm just like misinformed, but Ian Clark is looking elite defensively. Yeah. Uh, he was all over Milton Doyle in that game. Um, and that was an elite defensive win for them without Delhi as well. So when he comes back into the lineup, his ability to play up and in as well is up there with Shea Ely as far as just being able to just hound you and get you out of your stuff. Um, and But when when Tazzy went and played Brisbane, Brisbane had like a similar version of that in a mixture of Sam McDaniel and Mitch Norton, hmm. guys who can play up and in and sort of get you out of your stuff. And so that's why I think Jordan Crawford looked maybe a step off and Milton Doyle didn't get many shots in that game. These these are teams, and, and Brisbane is one of the, the better defensive teams in the league as well, and they, they built themselves that way. These are teams who are always going to be in games, and I feel like will always be around that top four, top five, six, because they can guard. And th- that, that's this is my issue with Tasmania, the fact that they're defensively they traded a lot out of there to, to get better offensively, but defensively they look re- they don't look great at all. And so that makes me question their ceiling. Um, but Melbourne defensively has looked like in, in a league of their own. Um, and what sucks is that it's not just those guys on the perimeter hounding you. You, you speak about the, the percentage of shots that came from beyond the arc in that game. I'm pretty sure, and I maybe you got to check the numbers, but I'm pretty sure Melbourne is the best team at guarding the rim as well uh, with, with Hook Porty in there and with JLA in there. And so if you, you can't get anything outside, then you try to do stuff, try to get to the rim and, Oh damn, we got you got two elite shot blockers in there. Melbourne United is going to make things tough for everyone, and that now with what they have offensively, with Chris Golding, the fact that Chris Golding can just go drop thirty plus points, and they have JLA who can draw multiple defenders. There, this team's not fair right now. Tasmania were zero for nine in the paint uh, outside the restricted area, so floater zones. Yeah, that's where they've been able to score pretty well this year. But it's it, again, it's just a different kettle of fish when you've got. Hook Porty, Travers, 
and JLA yeah. in there. Rim protectors, guys that will block your shot. Just a little bit extra length, and they make that shot even more difficult. And it's already a, a pretty uh, tough shot to finish efficiently. So uh, Melbourne, they're eight and one. The only loss came against Tassie when they were up by double digits. We've not long to go in yeah. the game at home. So they they really could be undefeated right now. I know I've spoken a lot about their offense. We questioned what does it look like when Ian Clark comes back? What does he look like in now JLA? That's the offensive punch that this team needed. Mm. And as you pointed to, when uh, those guys are out or they have someone out, huh? CJ, you'll just take a few more <laughs> shots. No problem. From the logo, that's no, that's no, uh, no question there with him. So, yep, Melbourne United looking pretty awesome at this point in time. We didn't speak a lot about Sydney today. As I mentioned, Cairns, we should get to them at some point. And we have to probably get a little bit more uh, value on the Adelaide 36ers revival. So maybe one more weekend to see where all those teams are at. Any final NBL thoughts before we bring in Megan? Uh, look, I'm just, I'm so intrigued at Perth, just what's going on there. Not just on the court where we, we're aware of the, the things that needed to be altered in order for Bryce to get better shots. And Bryce also has to be better. Like the all all of these things can be true at the same time, but just I don't know how redeemable the sort of the vitriol and the the public perception of this team is. Uh, no matter how much Craig, Craig Hutchinson can speak to multiple media outlets, no matter how much they can throw support behind John Reilly and all this, I'm I'm curious as to how where where the healing process begins for this franchise. Well, it is a ridiculously even competition so far, which would tell you that maybe there's another plot twist. And if you're a Wildcats fan, maybe it starts this weekend because after that game early in the rounds, you're coming to Melbourne and it's Melbourne Cup Eve and Bryce Cotton loves a big game. And maybe yep. he explodes at John Kane Arena against that Melbourne United team that no one can score against. So it's going to be another fun weekend of NBL. But now it's time to shift gears, Olgs. We're going to get to the WNBL. Megan Hustwaite joins us next. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, Olgs, let's shift gear here and start to talk about the WNBL, which tips off this weekend, recording this on Tuesday, as we said earlier in the show. So we're going to get started on Wednesday night. It's going to be Adelaide and the Melbourne Boomers. And last night I found myself on ESPN.com.au, which I tend to do pretty regularly, and I saw myself reading the WNBL preview, which you can find from Megan Hustwaite, and uh, we decided... Well, this isn't enough content for us. We need to come into the studio and dive a little bit deeper into what we're going to see from the WNBL. And we can be perfectly honest and say that we have our expertise in certain places. We have base knowledge on a lot of things in Australian basketball, but not the in-depth knowledge that someone like Megan has. And so we brought her in. Hi, Megan. Hi, guys. I am the rain woman of the Signet <laughs> WNBL, so it's very nice to be here with you. Long-time listener, first-time guest. Well, that's very kind, even if you don't mean it, but we appreciate it, <laughs> Megan. But what we should say is that not only will you be writing for ESPN throughout the season, we're going to see you on the broadcast as well, which mm -hmm. we did last year and we have for quite a while, and it's always a lot of fun. I think if we're going to start with the WNBL, though, let's start at the top. And let's start with Townsville, who last year went absolutely ballistic. They win 16 in a row. They win the title. And at least from what I was reading and seeing all the transactions go through on the offseason, they looked like they only got better. Is anything changed here in the last little period? Yes, the bombshell dropped on Monday from the club, putting out a statement that their championship star and Rachel Spawn grand final MVP from last season, Tiana Hawkins, who plays in the WNBA, will not be suiting up for them this season through injury. So their first game is on Saturday night. So this news coming days before their first game and uh, it has... Caused shockwaves throughout the competition, no doubt, because the feeling very much now is that the championship race has been blown wide open because, as you said, Kane, coming off a 16-game winning streak that culminated in a championship, it looked like they'd got even bigger and better, adding in two Opals in Sammy Whitcomb and Alice Kunek and then bringing back Hawkins as well. So without her, um, it's a bit of a watch this space. Townsville are looking for uh, a replacement, 
there are some options internationally um, and perhaps here in Australia, but it's going to be a, a very close watch this space over the, the next couple of days um, and maybe even weeks to see if they can bring a big in to replace Hawkins. So there's, it's they're, they're such an interesting team because they swept the grand final last season. They have arguably the best coach in the league in Shannon Seabomb. Uh, Steph Reed is what the best floor general in the league as well. And so it looked like they added a ton of talent, Sammy Whitcomb, um, Alice Kunek, and then they lose Hawkins. And so can they get someone at the same level as her? And then if they don't, do they is, need to, Ox? That's my question. If you win stacked. 16 in a row and then stacked. you add all this international talent, locals, but uh, players that have got it done in the green and gold, it makes me think that they're still in a decent position. Yeah, they absolutely are, Kane, you're right. And they've got Zatina Okuso, who's an Opal squad member. Mm. She went to China with the Opals in September for a five-game series over there. Z actually dunked in um, a warm-up game, in a in the warm-up of a round three game last season and um, and broke her foot. So <laughs> she was out for a stretch, came back, played a really important role off the bench um, as a bit of a sub for Hawkins, although Hawkins played pretty much all, all of the minutes. So Zatina's there. And if Zatina's ever going to have a chance to really step up and grab her opportunity with both hands. And she's been threatening for a long time. She's had injuries. This is Z's time. So, yep, they've got someone there who can step up into that role if they decide. And, and they might decide not to get an import as well. So um, I don't know what options are overseas, but you mentioned Shannon Seabom. He's one of the best coaches of basketball in, in Australian this country, right in Australian yeah. basketball right now. Um, Townsville, in my opinion, are the best run WNBL club. They do things so well and that's what attracted the likes of Alice and, and Sammy there to be part of that club and that community. They've got great contacts. So if anyone's going to land a big, and that's what they need, literally big fish, I, I believe the fire can definitely do that. Well, I like it personally that you've got Townsville and we look in the NBL and we talk about it all the time, Ogs, and you've got the powerhouses, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, historically. Not so much right now, as we discussed a little bit earlier, but to see Townsville the as the team that is dominating. NBA, right? Yeah. And you can understand why players want to go play in that part of the world as well. But I like the fact in the WNBL that you've got as a smaller market dominating the league. Yeah, absolutely. And as I mentioned, they do it so well. They've got a whole community and a region behind them up there. I was up there for the semi and grand final series. They were having street parades. They had a big festival outside the stadium with food trucks and entertainment. Um, the city paints themselves orange getting <laughs> behind the fire. They've got the NRL team there, but they are mm. an elite sporting team and everyone is all in behind them. So players want to be part of that and they want to play for Shannon. So... We, we have Townsville as one of those top teams. Based on some of the moves we saw this offseason, who are you liking as one of the teams that's going to compete with them? I like Sydney. The moves they made this offseason, they, they look stacked, mm -hmm. right? Uh, they have a new head coach, allegedly. Um, and, and they've just brought They brought the reigning MVP. They brought Shanice Swain when she gets back. Loz Nicholson. And so they're a team I like. Who do you, do, do you like Sydney as one of those yeah. top-tier teams as well? Absolutely. And they made those big moves quickly after mm. last season. So... Um, Tess Madgen, the Opals captain, and Kayla George, obviously now WNBA champion and reigning Susie Batkovic uh, medalist as WNBL league MVP. They're a bit of a package deal, Tess and Kayla. So for them to reunite with the Sydney interim coach and Guy Malloy, who coached them to a championship at Melbourne Boomers, bit of a trio. So that was fantastic. They bring back Lauren Nicholson to Sydney where she won a championship uh, Lara McSpadden, who won a title with Nicholson at Townsville last year, also a Sydney girl. They bring them in. Swain was unbelievable mm. last season, um, selected in the WNBA. And they've got two imports as well, one of them being Dede Richards, who was a um, top 20 pick in the 2021 WNBA draft. So Sydney are making moves. And I love um, how the Hoops Capital, you know, really getting behind the women's program and everything they're doing to elevate this flamed pro program because a strong WNBL needs a strong Sydney. Yeah. What do we know about Shanice Swain's injury? Because she, so she's with the Flames. She yes. signed with the Flames. I think it's a stress fracture. It's a stress fracture. Um, I watched her play for Cairns in the NBL One North, yes. and she is unbelievable. Yeah. And so when she's healthy, that just brings them another element. What do we know about her injury and when she might 
you know, make her, her flames debut. Yeah, so Elise Hurst is the development player who will be the injury replacement for Swain. So probably not going to see her before Christmas. Okay. But as you said, they've got depth. Mm. So they've got Kayla that's just got back and um, she's got a WNBA campaign behind her. Obviously didn't play a lot until the deciding um, finals game, but th- they've got depth. So that's really going to help Sydney. Depth, probably something they haven't had in recent years as they look to return to the finals. If we compare who has had the best 12 to 18 months in Australian basketball, there's two names that come to mind. One is Xavier Cooks and everything he's done from grand final MVPs and NBL MVPs, getting the NBA deal, going to uh, the World Cup. Kayla George might have him covered. (laughs) When you think about the bronze medal, uh, the WNBA title that you mentioned, the, the regular season MVP, WNBL, and I know that Kayla spoke about it before. She's 34, mm. but there's no question right now it seems like she's playing easily the best basketball of her career. Oh, absolutely. And I think one of the best things for Kayla, she won three titles at Townsville as a bit of the second banana to Susie mm-hmm. Batkovic, went to the Melbourne Boomers and definitely became the big dog in that team. So that that stretch really started winning a title with the Boomers in April last year, World Cup, um, WNBA Championship, just to even get the WNBA contract was so well-deserved and a great story returning to the league. And she's become a mum as well. So she's done the last WNBL and WNBA season with a a newborn baby, now one-year-old. So um, she's a fantastic story. And, you know, can she go back-to-back winning the Susie Batkovic medal at Sydney? Absolutely she can. So one of the things I I found interesting from your story, and it was was smart that you pointed it out, is Sandy Brondello and... Uh, we know that it's been similar in previous years as well, but she's going to be lurking around and she's going to be having her eyes on what's happening here and potential opals. And uh, the question I would have for you is, if we're tuning into the WNBL this year, who are the players that we should be watching, whether it's young talent mm. that could potentially come into this squad that won the bronze last year? I think it's a great point, Kane, because we've got more Australian women playing in Europe than ever before. There's about 15. Some of the players that have gone to Europe this year have been bench players in WNBL, which is another layer to that. So you've got a lot of your Opals playing in Europe. Um, But then I think what makes the backdrop of this WNBL season so interesting is that the Opals need to play um, in the Olympic qualifiers in Brazil in February. So there's a team going to be picked very soon. And there's players that are teetering on the edge that have been in the Opals program. Then there's ones that are really pushing and coming through. Someone like Jade Melbourne has Mm -hmm. absolutely been touted as a future Opal coming off her rookie season at Seattle. And she's She's the woman at Canberra. It's the Jade Melbourne show. So, um, you know, there's an Olympics potentially on the line for her next year. And then there's a lot of players. Sarah Blitzarves has made a big move from Southside to the arch rival Melbourne Boomers, obviously a Tokyo Olympian, World Cup bronze medalist. But then you've got someone like Alana Smith that's in Europe that's had a great WNBA season. They're probably vying for a similar position. So there's a lot of watch this space here in the WNBL and for the stars that are in Europe. Is, is Jade Melbourne going to have a bit more help this season? Yeah, she is. So uh, we have our first Japanese import in cool. at the WNBL, Monica Okoye, who um, was a silver medalist at the Tokyo Olympics, and she's one of the imports at Canberra. So I think there's obviously other players around Jade, mm. but someone of her international calibre is going to really support a 21-year-old in, yeah. in Jade Melbourne. Uh, speaking of uh, international calibre, Lauren Jackson is back. <laughs> She's, she's, she's not going anywhere. Uh, so she's with Southside. Southside, they're another team that, on paper, looks pretty good. Right. right? Like Le- Leilani Mitchell coming back, Maddie Rochi. Uh, are they a, a sleeper to, to be one of the competitive teams, and especially if Lauren Jackson is back and, and healthy and, and you know firing? Yeah, LJ could be the missing piece, and I wrote that in the article. Mm. You know, She went down with that Achilles injury in a tribute game last year. Southside get to the grand final series without her, which mm. was a huge effort. Um, I was at Southside training this morning. LJ looks fantastic. I noted that Opal's ca- former Opal's captain, Jenna O'Hay, said at the weekend that LJ's looking as good as she did in Athens. Now, that's that's more, that's more nearly it's 20 wild. years ago, right? But when you put that into perspective that she had so many injuries through the back end of that WNBA and international career, I really, you know, that blew my hair back when I heard Jenna say that on the NBL 
call on ESPN at the weekend. So um, LJ is in such good touch and it's amazing that at 42, she's going around again, but she's bounced back from an Achilles injury that she's sustained in February and, and she's going to play on the weekend. So I think there's a couple parts to this. So firstly, we've seen uh, players that rupture their Achilles. It's not the same as what it was 10, 15 years ago, which is great news for starters. But I think we were both in the arena the night that she did it last year. And it seemed like, I mean, there was a lot of emotion around that. It seemed like her initial thought was, well, this is probably it. It was a full John Kane arena. It was such a great night for the women's game in Australia and for the WNBL in particular. Um, at what point did you get the sense, you're pretty close to Lauren, I mean, what point did you get the sense that this maniac is going to try and do it again? <laughs> because it didn't make a lot of sense two years ago how you could possibly do this. And now we're looking at coming back to the WNBL and then you have to sit back and say, okay, well, it's not too far away from what could potentially happen in another six, seven, eight months' time. Yeah, I think having reported on her comeback from when she announced she was going to play for Aubrey Wodonga in NBL 1... Um, last year, uh, it's kind of not even a question that she'll stop now. It's more just assumed that yeah. she'll keep going because it's Lauren. So, yeah. Um, yeah, she wanted to go around again. She wants to play for, you know, she's going to play for Albury, Wodonga next season too. Um, and, you know, that NBL one season is also an Olympic year. Mm-hmm. And I know she's ruled out going to Paris, but. Um, Has she though? I think as recently as last week, she's she said, you know, it's it's not it's not going to happen. But so I can say this from where I am, but I don't know. No, I, don't <laughs> I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I feel like just everyone you would have counted her out years ago. Yeah, you think okay, she's retired, she's done this, and then she just keeps coming back, and she keeps she she continues to be really really effective. So like, why not? Yeah. And and she just proves that age is no barrier. I mean, yeah. you guys were there, Kane. You were, you know, part of the broadcast at that World Cup, and it was just something magical that bronze medal game where she took her country on her shoulders. And um, you just don't lose the IQ and the skill set and the aura. I think the aura is a huge thing. Um, it was felt in the World Cup. It's felt in the WNBL, obviously. You know, you've got teenagers trying to guard her that grew up watching her, and now there's three of them trying to hang off LJ. So um, it's a remarkable story, and I think there's a few chapters left. It's a, it's a long way off, so we'll see whether that happens. But the one thing we did see in the World Cup was that uh, that schedule was ridiculous. It was not really fair on, on the girls, to be totally fair, but if you need Lauren for one game... Mm. For one 20-minute outing, uh, she was able to do that. So we'll see what happens through the WNBL season. Obviously, a fair way to go. The other thing I'm looking at, we've discussed the Flames. We've discussed uh, the Capitals. What about the other team that that struggled last year, Adelaide? Uh, where do you see them? I've got high hopes for Adelaide. I'm really looking forward to getting over there and watching them this week. Nat Hurst um, has won more championships um, than any other player in the WNBL and is now in her second year as a WNBL head coach. And I think she's assembled a really good team. Um, she's missing Steph Talbot, all-star five from that World Cup, who um, is recovering from an ACL. So that is a huge blow. And I think with her out there, that puts Adelaide into championship contention. But she went and got two imports. And imports are, um, you know, always a bit of a roll the dice thing, as we know in WNBL and NBL. And we've got two imports in WNBL. She's gone for the... Um, tried and true. So she went and got Jocelyn Willoughby, who won the MVP for Sydney last year, and she's lured back Brianna Turner, who's had a few years at Phoenix Mercury and played for Adelaide three years ago and was second in the league MVP. And Nat played with her that season at Adelaide. So I think those two are big ticks because they've played in the league and they've played well. And I think that's a huge, huge bonus when recruiting imports. And then she's got some of the best young talent going around. So she's really gone out and recruited girls that have come straight out of college. Um, and she's got Izzy Borlace as well, who was six woman of the year and Betty Watson breakout player of the year last season too. So um, they've got a good mix, Adelaide. So one of the things I enjoy most about when I watched WNBL is I used to cover high school basketball in Australia. And so I got to watch a lot of these young women come up. And one of the names was Is- Isabel Bourne, right? And so when I see her come back, uh, go to Nebraska, come back, join Adelaide. 
that's a really cool thing for me to see. I don't cover high school basketball as much. And so I, I don't get that. When you mentioned Zatina before, that's someone who I remember her dunking as a junior. Yeah. Right? So that's crazy. And so who are some of the other sort of young players coming into the league that you're really liking? Yeah, so Bourne's going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a preseason tournament with four of the clubs in Brisbane a few weeks ago. And Bourne just put on an offensive display for Adelaide the whole weekend. And it was her first outing as a, as a WNBL player. So... Um, yeah, she's going to be fantastic. Um, you know, I mentioned Jade and I think we've still got to put her, even though she's got a WNBA season under her belt, she's 21. So we still put her in that, in that group. And then at Southside Flyers, Nadia Potch, um, is just Mm -hmm. so exciting. She's a a human shot blocking machine. (laughs) She's so athletic. She's got no fear. Um, so just, just such an exciting young talent and she got her chance with the Opals on that tour to China. And then Dallas Loffridge is one of their young point guards. She did her ACL in the last preseason game, um, of last year and she'll make her WNBL debut on Saturday night. So she's been part of the GEMS program as well. And, um, LJ in her day job, um, running She Hoops at Basketball Australia is actually, um, making a, a documentary on Dallas's comeback from the cool. ACL, um, back from the brink. So um, episodes are on, on YouTube and socials, um, but they've they've got a really great relationship and um, LJ's been a bit of a mentor to her. So looking forward to seeing Dallas return. Megan, we love your insight and we're going to see you on the broadcast starting a trip to Adelaide. You're, you're flying all over the country, <laughs> yep. left, right and centre. We're going to see you in all the different destinations for the WNBL. We can't wait for that. We're going to read your stuff on ESPN.com.au as well. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap up our first WNBL chat of the season? Oh, um, I think it's a. I'm just interested on Townsville. It's a watch this space. They go to Bendigo this week. Um, Bendigo have played ten preseason games. Wow. Um, <laughs> they went to Korea for a tournament. Half a season. Yep, they've had an incredible, incredible preseason tournament. They will be very organised to start the season, Bendigo. And they went on a huge run. I think they won 10 in a row um, to start last season and then crashed and didn't make the finals. So I'm really interested for for Bendigo and Townsville um, this weekend. But, yeah, what Townsville can do with those new pieces, can they continue the winning streak? Megan Husslet, you're a star. And, uh, Oaks, you're not too bad either. We'll be back uh, next week. NBL, WNBL. We didn't check any NBA today, but we should get to that uh, next week as well. It's been the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour for the three of us. We'll catch you next Tuesday.